Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once upon a time, musical instruments were divided into two groups. Those appropriate for women to play and everything else. That first group was very small. Playing the piano was considered feminine. You could probably do a harpsichord or something similar. The violin, yeah, providing it was done gently and with ladylike comportment. And then there was, uh, well, you know, that's about it. Drums, oh, forget it, too physical, too sweaty. Brass instruments. No, those were out. In fact, so were all wind instruments, not even the flute. However, the acoustic guitar was okay. It wasn't very loud, wasn't very heavy, and it produced tones delicate enough to be appropriate for a young lady to play. Now, this, of course, was silly. Women had been doing amazing things with guitars, stretching back to the invention of what became the modern acoustic guitar back in the early 1800s. We can go back through the stringed instruments of history. The lute, the kithara, the chartar, the tambour, the oud, the mandolin, the sitin, and so on. Women played all of them, although we know almost nothing about them. And that's the way it was for decades. Unless they don't even talk about the electric guitar. Even as late as the 1980s, there was this sexist attitude that girls just couldn't play like the boys. They did not know how to rock out with a Les Paul or a Strat or whatever. In 2003, Rolling Stone published a list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. A hundred. And you know how many women were on that list? Two. Now, today we know that's crazy. There were plenty of excellent guitarists with double X chromosomes. And thanks to them, people are exploring the history of the guitar heroine, women who advanced the cause of the sixth string. Public preconceptions be damned. This is a look back at the women made the guitar sing. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and welcome to Driven by Her, a special new podcast series from the Ongoing History of New Music, presented by our friends at Porsche Canada. Porsche was founded on the pursuit of a dream, much like the careers of some of the women who will be featured as part of these podcasts. These are trailblazers, hit makers, dynamic driven women who would not take no for an answer. And they changed the face of music in the process. This episode is dedicated to guitar heroines, musicians and influencers who brought new attitudes to the instrument and in some cases changed the course of music history. You may have heard of some of these names before, but maybe not. After we're finished though, you'll have a new appreciation for what these women accomplished. 
We have to start with Memphis Minnie. We mentioned her on the last program about unsung women of rock. In 1904, when she was just seven years old, she received a guitar as a Christmas present. By the time she was 11, she was playing both the guitar and the banjo at parties. In 1910, she ran away from home and survived by busking on street corners along Beale Street in Memphis. That led to a stint performing with the Ringling Brothers Circus before she went back to Beale Street to immerse herself in the growing blues scene. Around 1930, she and her second husband, a guy named Joe McCoy, had been discovered by a Columbia Records talent scout and started making records. She was also playing in something called Cutting Contests. This is where musicians would go up against each other to see who had the best licks and the greatest skill. Minnie won her share of those, and they were all against dudes. If you listen carefully to her playing style, she took the blues in a different direction. She played with a little more swing, a little more force, maybe a little more bounce. Minnie played with confidence and swagger, and her songs were often fierce and angry. She made hundreds of records, including a song called When the Levee Breaks, which was later adapted by Led Zeppelin for their fourth album. And based on everything she left behind, some people will go as far as to call her the first ever punk rocker. It's all about attitude, baby. One of her most famous songs was this one, which appeared in five different versions for a label called Vocal Lion, beginning in 1929. This is called New Bumblebee. Bumblebee, Bumblebee, please come back to me. Bumblebee, Bumblebee, please come back to me. He got the best old style, any Bumblebee that I ever any history of the guitar is not complete without the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Starting in the 1930s, she started making gospel records featuring her on guitar, first the acoustic, and then on one of those newfangled electric guitars. As far as I can tell, she was the first woman to make that transition from acoustic to electric. And even before the invention of effects units like distortion pedals, she was using distortion to her advantage. In 1945, she recorded a song called Strange Things Happening Every Day. She's not playing an electric here. This is called a resonator guitar. But you can hear the ferocity with which she attacks those strings. Again, that's from 1945. Rock and roll hadn't even been invented yet. Could that be considered one of the very first rock and roll songs? Maybe. What is not in dispute is that Sister Rosetta Tharp had a profound effect on the course of the blues and then with the pioneers of rock. Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, they were all huge fans of Sister Rosetta. And some kids in Britain besotted with the American blues we're paying attention to. That would include Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, and Jeff Beck. So no wonder some people have christened her the godmother of rock and roll. One person who picked up on what Rosetta was doing was Peggy Jones. She's not well known, but she should be, because she was part of Bo Diddley's band playing rhythm guitar. And as such, she might have very well been the first woman to be visible as an electric guitarist in a rock band. This was 1957. Diddley saw her carrying a guitar case one day and thought, what's this? A girl with a guitar? I must know more. They got to talking, and eventually she ended up as part of his band. In 
Peggy was also known as Lady Bo because she and Bo were so tight that everybody just assumed that they were a couple. Not true. She was actually married to the band's bass player. Peggy ended up on a lot of Bo Diddley records until about 1961, before she left to spend time with her own band called The Jewels. She later played with Eric Burden and the Animals, Sam and Dave, and James Brown. Let's check out this instrumental, which she wrote for Bo in 1961. It's her playing all the guitar parts. It's called Aztec. Created for Bo Diddley, but that track is all Peggy Jones and her guitar. Again, it's called Aztec, 1961. Any list of female guitar heroes has to include Joni Mitchell. She began as a strummy folky and then something of a pop star. But the deeper she got into her career, the more she added elements of jazz to her playing. Her style was unique, and a lot of it can be attributed to the innovative way she tuned her guitar. Go online and you'll find all kinds of discussions trying to figure out exactly how Joni made her acoustic guitar sound the way it did. She also had a special way of stroking the strings with her right hand that could be both melodic and percussive at the same time. And because a bout of polio left her with a weakened left hand, she had to be creative with how she formed chords. And that led to all kinds of exotic tunings. We even have a number. According to Joni, she's employed at least 51 different tunings over the years. And she didn't start on guitar. Joni was a piano player, didn't buy her first guitar until she was 20. And when she started writing songs, many of them were written on a dulcimer. That had an effect on her strumming and picking style, as well as her love for weird tunings, unusual chords, use of harmonics, and percussive sounds. By the time she got to her fourth album, the one called Blue in 1971, things had evolved into something insanely complex. Joni Mitchell with a small sample of her guitar-playing genius. No one played like her. Back to the electric guitar. With a few exceptions, women were relegated to the sidelines for the first 20 years of the instrument. Here's an example. There's a story about a cassette that landed on the desk of Peter Grant, the manager of Led Zeppelin. The band had just started Swan Song, their vanity record label, and both Grant and Zepp were looking for artists to sign. Grant allegedly listened to a few seconds of this cassette, and immediately classified it as rubbish. Why? Well, because they were not only female-fronted, but also because the lead guitarist was a woman. Into the bin with you. I mean, come on, let's be serious. That tape was from Heart, featuring Nancy Wilson on guitar. And she, along with her sister Anne, were one of the millions of kids who decided that they needed to form a band after seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in February 1964. She was about a month shy of her 10th birthday. Nancy got her first guitar that year, and by 1967, she and Anne were playing gigs as The Viewpoints. She also had some solo shows, modeling herself in the style of Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon, but she was also into John Lennon and Paul McCartney and Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page. By the time some of the various groups she was in with Anne evolved into Heart, Nancy had become much more focused on hard rock, and she discovered drop D tuning, something that would become essential to the grunge era 15 years later. And yeah, she could riff and solo like the boys, but she could also draw in something more nuanced. 
Notice the flamenco stylings that lead off this big hit from 1976. It actually starts with an intro known as Silver Wheels, and then moves into a big riff created by guitarist Roger Fisher. At the same time Hart was breaking through with their first two albums, Chrissy Hind was living in London and trying to form a band. Desperately trying to form a band. Here was an American woman in the middle of the nascent punk rock scene. She was already tough, but that made her even tougher. She was actually a much better guitarist than most of the people she was hanging around with. She gave lessons to novices like Steve Jones and Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. And after many false starts, including an attempt to get something going with Mick Jones before he went off and established The Clash, Chrissy formed The Pretenders in 1978. Here we have a woman singing lead, acting as front person and spokesperson, and playing rhythm guitar. Not exactly a common thing in rock in the late 1970s. Oh, and she was writing most of the music. But because the British punk scene was accepting of different things like this, it was the perfect place for her to be. Chrissy's rhythm style was largely informed by listening to James Brown's band. The foundation of playing rhythm, most often on a Telecaster, was much more interesting to her than playing any kind of lead licks. And when it came to songwriting, she became intrigued at how some of the best melodies could be written over the top of the fewest number of chord changes. In 2021, she became one of the few female guitarists to have her own signature model, an ice blue Telecaster based on a 1965 version she bought in New York City in 1981. And that's what we hear with the chiming chords on this song. Next up on our list of great female guitar heroes is Joan Jett. Okay, I know that purists are going to want to fight me because Joan is really more of a rhythm player than anything else. She riffs hard, but isn't really known as a virtuoso soloist. But I think that's missing the point. Joan belongs on this list because she was a trailblazer. First as a member of the Runaways, arguably the first all-female hard rock band to get any kind of international attention. But her biggest success has come as a solo artist with a toe in the new wave and post-punk scenes as well as hard rock. And like Chrissy Hind, she was tough and never has taken crap from anyone. I mean, would you mess with this woman? For the longest time, Joan Jett's main guitar has been a white Gibson melody maker. She bought this guitar from Eric Carmen when the Raspberries, the great power-pop band from Cleveland, broke up. What we hear on songs like I Love Rock and Roll and Do You Want to Touch Me and Crimson and Clover and Bad Reputation is the same guitar we hear on the Raspberries' big hit, Go All the Way. Like Chrissy Hine, she also has a signature guitar. Hers was made by Gibson and had several interesting customizations. That was in 2008. In 2010, she got another model that was the result of two years of consultation with Joan. I'm going to throw the name Poison Ivy on this list. 
This is the stage name of Christy Wallace, the guitarist in The Cramps. They were part punk, part psychobilly, part garage band, part full-on horror movie. The Cramps were based out of New York City, and even there, no one sounded or looked like these people. It was her and her husband, Lux Interior, the band's frontman. She co-wrote all the group's original songs and occasionally sang. Again, not the most virtuosic player, but that doesn't matter. The fact that she was scrapping it out in such a tough scene was an inspiration to a couple generations of guitarists, both men and women. And in the process, the Cramps became this weird cult favorite that is still having an impact today. Ask Queens of the Stone Age what they think of Ivy. Try this from 1984. It's Poison Ivy twanging through a Fender Pro reverb amp on Guguma. Prince was a guy who went through a lot of backing musicians over the course of his career. The dude did have an eye for talent. And when he came across 19-year-old Wendy Melvoin, he knew he somehow had to have her in his band. She was with him on the 1999 album as part of Prince and the Revolution. Wendy was also there for Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, Parade, and Sign of the Times, all part of Prince's 80s glory period. Plus, she worked with Prince on his projects with Apollonia 6 and the family. She was so admired by Prince, no slouch on the guitar himself, that she served as an important musical foil. She made him better, both in the studio and on stage. Wendy spent a lot of time in a partnership with keyboardist Lisa Coleman, another Prince associate. They worked together as Wendy and Lisa for years before coming back to the Prince fold for a time between 2004 and 2007, and that included a couple of tours and a couple of albums. A couple of more things about Wendy. Her father is pianist Mike Melvoin. He was part of the famous group of L.A. musicians known as The Wrecking Crew, who played on literally thousands of songs, from the Phil Spector girl groups to the Beach Boys to the Partridge Family to Simon and Garfunkel. Her brother, Jonathan Melvoin, was a touring keyboardist with the Smashing Pumpkins. But he died of an overdose while he was on tour with the band. This happened in a New York City hotel room in 1996. And then her sister, Susanna, is a singer who has worked with Roger Waters and Eric Clapton, and his co-written songs with Madonna. When Prince wrote the song, Nothing Compares to You, he actually wrote it about Susanna. Okay, back to Wendy. Over the years, she's collaborated with Rob Thomas, Madonna, Neil Finn, Glenn Campbell, Seal, and Katie Lang. She's also an in-demand composer for TV and film, shows like Heroes and Nurse Jackie. Here's a sample of some tasty playing on a song from Sign of the Times called Slow Love. Let's move to another woman who can really shred. Her name is Catherine Thomas, otherwise known as the Great Cat, spelled with a K. In the world of thrash metal, she is one of the few women who have been able to carve out a career. One of her things is to thrash up classical compositions on the electric guitar. She's actually a classically trained violinist. She went to school at Juilliard, but she switched to guitar because, uh, well, it just rocked more. The Great Cat is one of the fastest shredders of all time, period. Certainly one of the 10 fastest. In fact, she has been called the High Priestess of Shred Guitar. Take a listen to this. (laughs) 
I'm going to include Bonnie Raitt on our list of female guitar heroes, and I'm not the first. Rolling Stone had her part of the 100 Greatest Guitarists of All Time back in 2011, and when Gibson, the guitar manufacturer, compiled a list of the top 10 female guitarists of all time in 2014, she was there. Bonnie is the only guitarist we've talked about who plays slide. She's also a big fan of the blues, something that comes out in her style. Bonnie has had a long and successful solo career. I mean, 10 Grammy Awards. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But she's also performed with Jackson Brown, the Pointer Sisters, Little Feet, and Warren Zevon. And this is important. In 1988, she co-founded the Rhythm and Blues Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving the royalty payments made to artists. And when Fender created a special strat just for her, she donated the profits to the Bonnie Raitt Guitar Project, which helps underprivileged youth play music. is Kelly Deal. She is the identical twin sister of Kim Deal, the original bass player in the Pixies. Kelly had a chance to join the Pixies as a drummer, but she moved to California instead, taking up computer programming. In 1992, Kelly joined Kim in the Pixies offshoot band, The Breeders. She was the guitarist. And to be honest, she knew nothing about the instrument. She did not know how to play. But she was a fast learner and nailed it. And that alone is inspiring. The Breeders had a smash hit with the Last Splash album in 1993. And after that, Kelly was off, cycling through a series of bands, as well as another turn with The Breeders. These days, she's a professional knitter. Her specialty is handbags. She's even released a book of patterns. Time for some more speed. If there's a female version of Eddie Van Halen, it might be Marnie Stern. Like Eddie, she employs tapping into her style. Pretty much all of her albums have been critical successes, and she's been named on a couple of occasions as one of the greatest female guitarists of all time. Rolling Stone, Spin, Elle Magazine, they've all said the same thing. And these days, she's part of the 8G Band, the house band for Late Night with Seth Meyers. Give this a listen. It's called Female Guitar Players Are the New Black. Speaking of women playing in house bands for late night TV, there's Felicia Collins. She was the lead guitarist with Paul Schaefer in the CBS Orchestra as part of Late Night with David Letterman. Before that, she was a go-to person for guitarist and producer Niall Rogers, who had her play on many records for his clients, including Madonna. She's also survived tours with George Clinton and P-Funk, which says something. And when the Thompson Twins were at their peak in the middle 1980s, Felicia was their studio and touring guitarist. Here she is playing and singing with the Letterman Band. Moving on to Orianthe Pangaris, or just Orianthe. She's from Adelaide, Australia, and she's another guitarist capable of amazing bursts of speed. She played for Steve Vai, no slouch he, when she was just 15. And by 18, she was jamming with Carlos Santana. 
She ended up as the guitarist in Carrie Underwood's band. And had Michael Jackson lived to tour one more time, Orianthe was going to be in his band as lead guitarist. Other collaborations have included performances with Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi, The Guys in Hollywood Vampires, solo work by the Eagles' Don Felder, stage work with Michael Bolton, and recording with Dave Stewart. Since 2007, she's been working as a solo artist, releasing a total of six albums on her own. Here she is duetting with her old friend Steve Vai on a piece called Highly Strung. We have time for one more female guitar hero, number 15 on this list. It's Anne Clark, otherwise known as St. Vincent. She is one of the great indie darlings of the 21st century. If we're looking for comparisons, I'd say she's the female equivalent maybe of Matt Bellamy of Muse. Sometimes she works out her solos on a MIDI keyboard and then learns them for guitar. She has a collection of fuzz pedals that she combines in weird ways to make her guitar sound like something other than a guitar. And speaking of that instrument, she is so revered by other guitarists, she is one of the few people who has a custom signature guitar built just for her. It's called the Ernie Ball Music Man St. Vincent Signature Model. I had a chat with her about it. The guitar, so it, it kind of looks like a retro future Klaus Nomi <laughs> like, uh, uh, experience. It's, um, it's really lightweight. Because, um, you know, again, I'm putting my 20 plus years of guitar playing into making this guitar. So it's, I'm a small person, so I made it very lightweight. I made it very comfortable to play either standing or sitting. Um, it comes in lots of different colors. It has... Um, Did you look for a particular tone or sound? I looked for tone flexibility. So I, it has three mini humbuckers. Mm. And um, a kind of convoluted but very cool pickup configuration. So it has basically all the tone flexibility you want. I, I honestly, I haven't played another electric guitar since I designed this guitar. And that's not because I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to anything. It's purely because I love this guitar and I don't, it, is wonderful. And it's, it's exciting to see because um, players in all kinds of different uh, genres are playing it. Like Jack White played it on SNL. Tom Morello has one. I've seen like, we make an all black version. That's like the stealth version, which is for metal heads. And, uh, you know, like metal dudes play it. There's country players who are playing it. It's really cool. It's a really flexible guitar. And it, that's the, this, the flexibility that attracts them to yeah, and I think it because it's um, it's an unorthodox um, it's an unorthodox shape. It's a new shape, basically. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that people are either going to love or hate because it's you know it's new. Different, yeah. It's different. Do you consider yourself a guitar hero? You kind of fall into that category now. I don't. I don't think about that in, in those terms ever. I, I really don't. It's, it's It would be a strange thing for me, like, psychically to... But you got to know that there are young kids looking up to you, seeing you play this guitar in the way that you play it, playing your own guitar, thinking, I would like to do that one day. I mean... Great. I'm so excited if kids want to play guitar. It's the best thing.
And there you have 15 awesome guitarists, all of whom just happen to be women. Each have been important and influential and inspiring in their own way. And I hope there was something in here that you found fascinating. And if you get a chance, I encourage you to explore the catalog and careers of every single one of them. This has been episode four of Driven by Her, a special new podcast series from the ongoing history of new music presented by our friends at Porsche Canada. Join me next time for a look at more trailblazers and hitmakers, these dynamic women who live by their own rules and change the face of modern music around the planet. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. We'll talk soon. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.